0: Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. The message this morning is a little bit different. I'm going to ask you to turn to a lot of different passages. And so uh, go ahead and get your Bibles out, get them ready. I want you to see a number of different uh, truths from a number of different places this morning. We are focusing, if you noticed, on the front of your bulletin. I mentioned it earlier, the sanctity of human life. You see it on the screen. And there's one thing I don't like. I mean, There's a Sunday every year where they say, okay, this is the sanctity of human life Sunday. Let me tell you what I don't like about that. Really, every day we should value the the sanctity of human life. It's really not just a a one-day-a-year thing, right? This is something that we should value every day, but I don't think there's anything wrong with taking one day and specifically focusing our attention on that. And That's what we're doing this morning. On the back of your bulletin is an outline, and I want to challenge you to follow along as we go through this. Now, my introduction is going to be a little bit longer, so just bear with me, and then we're going to dive into this here in just a moment. But I want us to begin in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and in just a moment I'm going to read verse 7 through verse 11. The sanctity of human life often is associated with um, a stand against abortion, and that is certainly good, and that's actually what we're going to be focusing on this morning. But really, the sanctity of human life is much broader than just the topic of abortion. It's much broader than just the topic of pro-life or pro-choice, and really We also have to acknowledge this morning that this is not a political issue as much as it is this morning. What we're doing is looking at it from a biblical perspective. So what I want to challenge you to do is to put your political preferences aside this morning. That's not the focus. My focus this morning is what does the Bible say about the value of life? It's not just about abortion. It's also about, uh, maybe you've heard the term euthanasia, a a term made popular by Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Number of years ago, funny story. I was in middle school and I, we had this research paper that we had to write for our English class, and I, didn't have no, I had no idea what to write it on. And my teacher came up and said, "Why don't you write it on euthanasia?" And I said, "I don't care about kids in Asia. Why would I want to write on that topic?" She began to explain to me what it really was, and I ended up writing on that and learned a great deal. About the topic, and what I began to realize, even in middle school, is around the world, there is a differing opinion on the value of life. Does life have value? When does life have value? When is it okay to end a life? Is it okay to end a life by means of abortion? Is it okay to end a life by physician-assisted suicide? These are all issues that are very real and very prevalent and even if we don't see them and face them on a daily basis here there are places around the world where this is an everyday issue i mean is, is it okay for someone who is pregnant to go and get tests done from the doctor to see if there's any issues with the pregnancy and if there is is it okay to terminate that pregnancy i mean around the world that that pregnancies are terminated for all kinds of things But the question really, again, is not about those specific issues as much as it is about the value of life. Do we believe that life has value? Do we believe, as the title of the message says this morning, that life is sacred? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. I'm going to read this, and you're going to, as I read this and you follow along, you're going to be wondering, how in the world does this passage fit with what we're talking about? But just Follow along with me for a moment. Starting in verse 7 of Ephesians 5. Therefore, do not become their part partners. Pa- whose partners? Well, if you go back up to chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 5, you see there's a whole list of people who are imitators of God, but don't truly have a relationship with God. They have all of these characteristics, starting really in verse 4, coarse, foolish, talking, crude, joking, goes all the way down, sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, all these lists. Don't, don't become partners with them, verse 7 says. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruits for the fruit of the lights results in all goodness righteousness and truth discerning what is pleasing to the lord notice verse 11 now don't participate in their fruitless works of darkness but instead expose them all right that's our key verse as we begin this morning again we're going to be all over the place but that's our key verse look at verse 11 one more time don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness but instead Expose them. Here's what I want us to understand this morning. As believers, as Christians, we have a responsibility to walk in light. But that is not our only responsibility. As, as much as we have a responsibility to walk in light, according to Paul in this verse, we also have a very serious responsibility to also expose darkness. It, it's both. I mean, I think some believers sometimes stand over here to the side and say, you know what, I'm walking, in, I'm walking in light. I'm not walking in darkness. I'm doing what God has called me to do. But what we have to understand is it's not just enough not to do wrong. It's not just enough to strive to do right. In our striving to do right, we also have a responsibility to expose that which is dark. I want to read a lengthy quote from John Piper. And I think what this does is he shows us how we are and what we are to expose, the, the darkness that we are to expose as it relates to this issue. Here's what he says. Again, this is lengthy, but follow along with me. We are called to expose the dark work of abortion. We are called to expose the fact that there are 1.2 million abortions in America every year, 52 million since legalized abortion. We are called to expose the fact that approximately 30% of all babies conceived in America are killed by abortion. We are to expose the fact that that medically women are told not to have abortions before the seventh week of pregnancy. And yet the eighth week, the heart has been beating for a month and there are measurable brainwaves. We are to expose the fact that 9,000 babies were killed after the 21st week of pregnancy. And this was back in 1987. We are to expose the fact that in Minnesota there is a fetal homicide law that makes it murder to kill an embryo or fetus intentionally except in cases of abortion. In other words, it's unlawful to kill an unborn child unless the mother chooses to. We are to expose the fact that it is illegal to crush the egg of a bald eagle because it would end the life of an eagle prematurely, but the unborn child's life can be terminated. We're called to expose the fact that there are thousands of crisis pregnancy centers all around the country, all ready to help. Most of them are free while abortions clinic charge. We're to expose the fact that there is fetal surgery performed on babies in the womb to save them while another at the exact same time, the exact same age is being legally killed. We're to expose the fact that infants in the womb are scientifically human beings by virtue of their genetic makeup. We're to expose the fact that at eight weeks, by ultrasound, babies have been seen sucking their thumbs, responding to touch, responding to sound, all the organs are present, the brain is functioning, the heart is pumping, the liver is making blood cells, the kidneys are cleaning fluids, there are fingerprints, but abortions are allowed. We're to expose the fact that babies can survive on their own at 23 weeks, but yet abortion is legal beyond this point. He goes on, Piper goes on to say that God is calling passive, inactive Christians to engage our minds, engage our hearts, engage our hands in exposing the works of, a, of, of the darkness of abortion. Christians are to be the conscience of our culture, the light in a dark world. We are to walk as children of light, exposing the works of darkness. So again, I want us to understand that yes, we have a responsibility to walk in light and yes, we have a responsibility to avoid the works of darkness, but we also have a responsibility to boldly and lovingly stand and while we strive to walk in light, we are also called at the exact same time to expose the works of darkness. As I mentioned a moment ago, the issue is not just about abortion, it's really about our view of life. There are other issues that show how the value of life is declining in America. I mentioned euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide. There's a growing movement within our culture to end the pregnancies when Down syndrome is expected. And this is legalized in many countries around the world already. And again, the issue is, do you value life do you value where life comes from? Do you value who gives and who is the author of life? So I ask you again, do you believe that life is sacred? What I want to do this morning as we go through our outline is to take just a few minutes and walk through why, as Christians, why as a church we should value life and why we should believe that life is sacred. Some of these points are um, you've heard before, maybe some of them you haven't, but I want to build a case for, for you this morning. If you're taking notes, let's begin. A great place to begin, number one. Life is sacred because God made it. Let's begin right there. Life is sacred because God made it. We should value life because that life is a gift from God. There are several points to help clarify this that I'll mention in just a moment, but let me begin by reading Genesis one twenty seven. God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So Let me give you your first sub-point here. Each person is made in God's image. Each person is made in God's image. Every single one of you in the room this morning and every single person that you'll come in contact with this week is created, is made in the image of God. Every individual is made in God's image. This may not mean a lot to you this morning, but it has some crucial, important ramifications. God does not begin with man's body and relate him to an animal. He begins with man's morals, his spiritual nature, and relates him to God. What animal has a desire to worship? What animal has a desire to be moral? None, but man, he is in God's image. And the fact that man and women are created in the image and the likeness of Almighty God shows us that life is valuable, life is sacred. Let me give you a 2nd subpoint. Each person has been formed. Each person has been specifically and intentionally formed. It's not just that we appeared, we were formed. I want to read you a couple of verses, and I'm not going to ask you to turn to these, but follow along as I read Isaiah 44.2. Here's what it says. This is the word of the Lord your maker who formed you from the womb. All right, you have been formed. Jeremiah 1.5 says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. Understand this this morning. Each person has been formed specifically and intentionally by God. It means that when you look at someone... You see someone who has been created by God in God's image. You see someone who has been formed by God. You are not an accident. You have been created. You have been formed by God. You have been designed by Almighty God who knows all things and makes no mistakes. Let me give you a third sub-point. Each person has been given a purpose. Purpose. Not only is each person created in God's image, not only is each person specifically and intentionally formed by God, each person is also given a purpose by God. That, that verse I just read in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, let me read you the whole verse now. I want you to listen carefully. Here's what it says. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So picture this. Before Jeremiah was ever born, before his birth ever... to took place God looked at him and said before you were ever born before you ever came into this world back when you were in the womb I had a purpose for your life even at that point you were created by me you were in my image and before your life ever maybe began outside of the womb I had a purpose for your life. Every single one of you need to understand this. God has a purpose for your life, and that purpose did not begin once you were born. That purpose can be traced all the way back to that point when you were first conceived, when you were in the womb. God had a plan. God had a purpose. He created you. He designed you. He formed you. He gave you a purpose. Life is valuable. Life is valuable. D... We also have to understand this next truth, that each life begins at conception. Each life begins at conception. I want to lay out an argument for you from God's Word that maybe you've seen, maybe you've heard before. But again, this is where I want you to turn to a few passages. Go with me back, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 36. Luke 1, 36. Actually, we're going to look at a few verses in Luke chapter one, but we're going to begin in Luke one thirty six. And again, you'll see how all these verses fit together here in just a moment. Luke one thirty six. Here's what it says. This is obviously when Gabriel is coming to Mary, predicting the birth of Jesus. Notice what Mary said, or the angel says to Mary, and consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. Skip down to verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her. Skip down to verse 44. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. So in these verses, there's a word that is used. Verse 36, she conceived a, what does it say? A son, all right? Verse 41, the baby leaped inside her. Verse 44, the baby leaped inside her. All right, so this first term that we see is this son, this baby that is still in the womb, right? Has this baby been born yet? Had Jesus been born yet? In Luke 1, 36, 41, 44, had Jesus been born yet? No, but even without this child being born, without Jesus being born, still referred to as a son, as a baby, all right? Look over with me now at chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Verse 12, Luke 2, verse 12. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Skip down to verse 16. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. Had the baby now been born? All right, this is an easy question. Had the baby been born? All right, all right so we have a son in the womb, a baby in the womb. Now we have a baby in the manger. All right, let's flip a few pages over to Luke chapter 18. All right, Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 15. Jesus is now in the middle of his earthly ministry. And perhaps you've heard of this story, but in verse 15 of Luke 18, some people were bringing infants to him so that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. Jesus, however, invited them, let the little, what's the next word there? Children, let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So in verse 15, you see the word infants. In verse 16, you see the words little children. All right, Here's what I want you to understand. In Luke chapter 1, verse 36, verse 41, verse 44, you have a baby in the womb, a son in the womb. Luke chapter 2, you have a baby lying in a manger. And later in Luke 18, you have people bringing infants, people bringing little children to the Lord, here's what's interesting about this. Each of these words in each of these passages are the exact same Greek word. Even though there are different words, the word that is used for little children in Luke 18 that are being brought to Jesus is the exact same word that is used to refer to the baby that is in the womb. The little baby that is laying in the manger, that has been born, that has life, is the exact same Greek word behind that as for little children, for infants, for the son that is to be born. The Bible makes no distinct, distinction whatsoever between the baby that is in the womb and the little children that are brought to him. Why? Because they represent life. Life begins at conception. All throughout Scripture, we could, I could show you probably another dozen, 18 examples of, of how the Bible points to the fact that life begins at conception. While we live in a world that may just look at the infants, the little children that are brought to Jesus as life, if you study Scripture, what you begin to see is, if you trace it all the way back to that baby in the womb, There's no difference. To value this life, but to devalue this life is a contradiction. To say that we value the life of little children, to value the life of infants, but to say that we care nothing about that exact same life before it is born is a contradiction with how the Bible presents it. The Bible says all life is valuable, all life is precious, The point is that the Bible makes no distinction between the baby in the womb, the baby in the manger, and the little children that are brought to Christ. There's no distinction whatsoever. Another verse that you may want to turn to is Exodus chapter 21. I know we don't normally flip around quite this much, but Exodus chapter 21 I think will show us an important truth about how bible points to the value of life, not just after birth, but the value of life prior to birth. Exodus chapter 21, verse 22. Exodus 21, verse 22. Exodus 21 is presenting all different kinds of laws and legal requirements and justice requirements and how everything's to play out. And Obviously, we're not under the Old Testament law, but I want you to notice how it presents the value of life. Here's what it says, Exodus twenty-one, twenty-two. When a man gets in a fight, when men get in a fight and hit a pregnant woman so that, the child, so that her children are born prematurely but there is no injury, the one who hit her must be fined as the woman husband demands from him and he must, must pay according to judicial assessment. If there is an injury, then you must give life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what's being said? So if two men get in a fight and a pregnant woman is hit and the child is unharmed, is born prematurely, and the child is unharmed, then the person who hit the pregnant woman is simply to be fined. However, if that child is born and there is injury, there is death, then the person who hit the pregnant woman is responsible for what has happened to that life, even though the injury occurred before the child was born. Again, we see that life is valuable. All right, but let me go move on to our second point. So life is sacred because God made it. But let me give you our second truth this morning. Life is sacred because it has value to God. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that life has value to God? Turn with me to Psalm 139. You're familiar with this psalm. It is read often, quoted often, but it is a very powerful psalm that has, again, several wonderful truths for us this morning. David is writing, and you get a glimpse of this truth that life is sacred because it has value to God. Psalm 139, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Notice what David says as he is offering this psalm to God. For it is you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know, I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Do you hear what he's saying? Look at it again. For you created me. Very specifically, God, you created me. goes back to our first truth. Life is sacred because God made it. God, you created me. You created my inward parts. You knit me together. When? When did this happen? In my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Verse 16. You saw me when I was formless. All my days. Catch this. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. This life is sacred because it has value to God. David is looking up to God and saying, God, you created me. I have been remarkably and wonderfully created by you. God, you have a plan for my life. You have a purpose for my life. Even before my life may have began on this earth, even when I was in the womb, God, you had a plan and you had a purpose. And you had created me and you have formed me. God, you had all of my life laid out before I was ever born. David is praising God because he understands that his life had value to God. His life was important to God. His life was from God. And again, one of the truths that we need to communicate is that your life has value to God. You have been created. You have been formed specifically by God. He has a purpose and a plan and a will for your life. It doesn't matter whether... Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, God has a plan for you. And there are people all through the world, all through this city, who are living and they're wondering, what is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Why do I exist? And what you and I have to understand is people will never understand why they live and why they exist and what their purpose is until they understand that their life has value because it comes from God. That's the key. Understanding that life comes from God from God. So life is sacred because God made it. Life is sacred because it has value to God. But number three, life is sacred because it represents an eternal soul. Each life that we see, and even the ones that we may never see, is not just a life that is lived and a life that at some point will end. It is a life that represents an eternal soul. Think about this with me for a moment, will you? Every person you come in contact with, every person that you see sitting in traffic, you all ever look at people in the cars next to you when you're in traffic? Smiling, of course, right? Every person that you bump into in the grocery store, every person that you see where you work, every person whose house you walk by or drive by, Every person is not just a life that is lived and a life that will someday end. That person represents an eternal soul who will one day spend eternity somewhere. Every single person that you come in contact with is not just someone who's in your way, not just someone who's slowing you down, not just someone who's annoying you or getting on your nerves. It's someone who has a soul. And while living on this earth, we'll have people in our lives that rub us the wrong way. There'll be people who slow us down, people that when we look at them, we question, we may look at them and say, what's their purpose? How can they contribute? As long as we look at people from the earthly mindset, we'll be aggravated and we'll be selfish and we can be bitter. It's... Only when your perspective shifts that you begin to see that every person has value. And listen, this is hard, isn't it? We get so busy and wrapped up in our lives and everything we have to do, running here and going there and getting this done and accomplishing this, that we begin to view other people as people, you know what, they're standing in my way. They're slowing me down. They're, they're a hindrance to me. And we get sucked into, this, into living this selfish, self-focused, self-consumed life You say, how can that change? Well, one key way is by understanding that that person that you're looking at that's rubbing you the wrong way. Do you all have anybody that rubs you the wrong way? That person that's rubbing you the wrong way, that's getting on your nerves, that's not just a life that is lived. That is a soul that will spend eternity somewhere. And when you begin looking at people, not just through your earthly eyes and not just through your human eyes, but you begin looking people through your spiritual eyes, your perception completely changes. So now that person that cuts you off in traffic that you want to stare down and honk at, not not that we ever do any of those things, right? Never. That person now all of a sudden has value to me. Not necessarily because of how they're treating me. Not necessarily because of what they're doing, but because of the fact that they have been created by God. They've been created in God's image and they have an eternal soul. So how I interact with them and how I respond to them says a lot about how I view them. See, if we are always responding to people with anger and with bitterness and as if we have no time for them and as if they're just a distraction and as if they're just someone who's in our way, it indicates that we are not looking at them through spiritual eyes. We are not looking at them as someone who has a soul, someone who will one day enter eternity. But if we begin to see people through the lens of they are going to eternity one day, all of a sudden how you interact and how you respond shifts drastically because you understand their life has value. It's sacred because God made it. It's sacred because God says, this life has value. I created it. I formed it. I knit it together. I gave it a purpose. But it also has value because one day that life will end and that soul will enter eternity. And when we begin thinking in terms of that, the question then is, how will my interaction with this individual affect their eternity? You see how that changes your interactions? You see how that changes how you deal with people, how you talk with people? But again, it all comes back to this question. Do you value life? Do you believe that life is sacred? Do you believe that the life of an unborn child is sacred? Do you believe that God has a plan and a purpose for someone who may be looking at their life and saying, you know what, I wish a doctor would just help me in my life. Do you believe that that life has value to God? Do you believe that someone who has a disease or a deformity or some other challenge that they are dealing with, do you believe that life has value to God, that God can use that, that God can use that, Not just that life, but that person that he has created, that he has formed, that he has purposed, that God looks at and says, I value that. Listen, if God looks at something and values it, and you look at the exact same thing and you do not value it, guess who's wrong? So I want you to leave this morning. You say, well, what decision do I need to make? Well, maybe the decision that you need to make this morning simply is, I will value life. And not just mine. I will value the lives of others. I will look at every person. And maybe right now you have people coming to your mind that you're like, you sure God values their life? Absolutely. And I, I will value the lives of people who seem, or seem like they are contributing nothing. See, the, the value of life is not based on what someone does or does not contribute it is based on whose image they're created in. And then from that standpoint, aren't we all on the same level? We could go around this morning, starting right up here at the front, you're created in the image and likeness of God. You're created in the image and likeness of God. You are created in the image. We could go all the way around the room this morning, and guess what? We're all in the exact same place. God looks at each and every one of us and says, your life has value to me because I made it. God looks at every single one of us this morning and says, your life is sacred because I formed it. It has value to me. Your life is sacred because it represents an eternal soul. And when you walk out of this room this morning, every person you meet is valuable to God. And those lives that have yet to be born are valuable to God. And those lives that have been lived for 80, 90 years are still valuable to God. And those individuals who you look at and say, what can they contribute? They have value to God. So guess what that means? They should all have value to us. Live in a way that exposes the work of darkness, that devalues life, and pursue a path in your Christian life that says all life, is valuable because God made it, because God says it is valuable, and because it represents an eternal soul. We stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make him known.